I learned something about this pulpit this morning. It is a long ways down from my eyeballs. Whew. And so I'm going to put some stuff in here so I can prop some things up. So hopefully I can be able to see my notes here this evening. I'm, I'm, I, every time you go to a new church, you have to come up with the adjustments that you need to make. And uh, anyway, I, hopefully I'll be able to get things a little bit uh, squared away here. You know, it's not every time that I come to church and listen to a pastor give the announcements that I get excited. But I got pretty excited hearing your announcements tonight. Uh, there's going to be some new visitation slots to be able to go out and for you to be able to, as a church, to corporately go out and talk to people about Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I get excited about that. And I hope that you will take advantage of every opportunity that the church puts there for you to be able to go out into your community and talk to people about the most important thing that you can talk to them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he died on the cross for your sins, he loves you, and he's paid a way for you to be able to be able to go to heaven. I want to be able to actually talk about that here tonight. I want to preach on this subject of how to be a better witness than you currently are. Now, before I ever preach a message like this, I always want to ask the question to see if there's someone in the audience that has this business of soul winning figured out. Uh, you know, you, you know exactly what to do. Uh, you're seeing people saved uh, all the time, and uh, you just you, you have soul winning figured out. Any, anybody like that at all? I don't see any hands up. And by the way, no time have I ever asked that question where somebody put their hand up in the air. And uh, the reason I asked the question is because maybe I would need to go back and sit down on the pew and, and listen to you preach if you have it all figured out. Amen? But I can tell you one thing that I think I know about you if you are a born-again believer. If you are a born-again believer, you desire to be effective at sharing your faith with other people so that they can then trust Christ as their Savior. You want people to know what you know. You want people to have what you have. And so what we want to do tonight is we want to look at how the Lord Jesus Christ went about soul winning. And our proposition is going to be very, very simple here this evening. If you want to be an effective witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, all you need to do is do what Jesus does. Just do what Jesus does. So with that in mind, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 19. This morning we were in Luke chapter number 18, and this evening we'll be here in Luke chapter number 19. The title of the message tonight is The Sinner and the Soul Winner. I think you'll recognize the passage when you get there. It's a very familiar passage, and I think that maybe we can look at it in a new light here this evening and uh, share some truths with you and allow this to really speak to your heart. So are you there in Luke chapter 19? All right, let's begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I'm sure that most of you folks, whenever you come to church, you're expecting to hear a good sermon from the preacher tonight. And I just, I just want you to know this probably isn't going to be a good sermon. They, they tell you in Bible college that good sermons have to have three points, right? You always have three points in sermons. You probably picked up on this at some point along the way, right? But I'm only got, I've only got two points here tonight. That's all I've got. And so I'm sorry that it's not going to be a good sermon, but it's just going to be two points, all right? The first point is going to be the sinner in our passage, and the second point is going to be the soul winner in our passage. 
Because if you want to be a soul winner, not only do you need to know about what Jesus did and how to be a soul winner, but you need to know a little bit about the lost people that you're trying to reach as well. So we're going to have two points tonight. We're going to talk about the two characters here in this passage. We're going to talk about Zacchaeus first, who is a sinner. And then we're going to talk about Jesus, who is a soul winner. And then we'll be done here this evening. All right, let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us here tonight. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to stand here in this pulpit and preach your word. Father, I pray that you would just make these words come alive to us. And Father, that we would leave here with a new understanding of the simplicity of what it means to be a soul winner. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I want us to begin by looking here at the sinner in our passage. We meet him here in verse number two. The Bible says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. I forgot in my introduction, I wanted to to give you a brief warning as well. I I noticed something about uh, your church this morning while I was preaching. Can I tell you what I noticed? I noticed that right there. Can I be be friendly and just say that I noticed you're a rather stoic bunch whenever you listen to preaching, right? There's there's not a lot of... uh, feedback coming from the audience and uh, it kind of took me by surprise a time or two this morning. So I am going to ask you to help me in the sermon tonight and I'm going to solicit some feedback, a couple of points in tonight's message. So I wanted to, to give you a little bit of advance warning on that so that you have some time to prepare. All right. But I'm going to be asking for your help and I want you to be able to help me here in just a few minutes. We'll be doing that. All right, we're looking at Zacchaeus here. And our first thing we're looking at is his appearance. And I want to say this. He wasn't wearing a sign that said, come and talk to me about Jesus. Pastor, I wish that uh, they would sell maybe some T-shirts down at a Walmart or a Dollar General or somewhere. You know, maybe there would be some some obnoxious neon green color. And uh, on the front, it could say something like this. It could say, I'm curious And on the back, it would say something like, please talk to me about Jesus. And so anybody who was really curious about Jesus, they could go and buy one of these T-shirts and and they could wear it. And then wherever they were out and about, whenever you and I saw them, we would just know, oh, that's who we're supposed to go talk to today about the Lord Jesus Christ. But but have you ever seen anybody wearing a T-shirt like that? I've never seen anybody wearing a T-shirt like that. In fact, I've never even seen one for sale. And here's the truth of the matter. If lost people were going to wear a t-shirt, here's what it would probably say. Leave me alone. I'm not interested, right? That's more likely what it is that we see whenever we see people who are lost, who don't know Jesus Christ as their savior. We look at them and we think, oh yeah, they made their decisions in life and they're not interested. And I want to suggest to you, if Zacchaeus could have been wearing a t-shirt at this point when Jesus meets him, it would have said, leave me alone. I'm not interested in anything that you've got to say. Why do I say that? Well, because of his occupation, for one thing. What's his occupation? It says there in verse number two, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was a chief among the, what's the word? Publicans. He was a publican. Now, we talked about publicans here this morning, but let's just go over it again. A publican is a tax collector. And we know here from the passage down in verse number nine, that Zacchaeus is a Jew because it says, Jesus says unto him, this day of salvation come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus is a Jewish individual here who is collecting taxes. Now, taxes at this point in time would have been infinitely worse to pay than we have it today. Now, I understand maybe we don't get super excited about tax day, which happens to be coming up right around the corner. If you don't have your paperwork in order, probably you need to get that in order. I haven't started mine yet, but I, I've got it. It's all in a binder over there. And I've got to do that probably at some point while I'm here uh, this week to be able to get my taxes started. Listen, I don't really look forward to paying my taxes, but I want to suggest to you that it would be way easier for you and I to pay our taxes today than it would have been for a Jewish individual to be paying taxes at this time where we meet Zacchaeus. The taxes were being collected and given to the Roman government, who was then in turn oppressing the Jewish people and keeping them in an oppressed state. And here you have a Jewish man who, in the eyes of most Jewish people, 
he would have been seen as one who had sold his soul out to Rome to help them in the oppression of his own people. I would say it this way. If Zacchaeus was walking down the street and you were a Jew at this point in time, you might have gone to the other side of the street so you didn't have to walk on the same side of the street that he was on. Everything about his appearance would have said, look, I've made my choices in life. I'm not interested in anything that's Jewish. I'm not interested in anything having to do with a Messiah. I'm just not interested. I've already made my choices in life. Not only do we note his appearance, but we see his lifestyle. The Bible says there at the end of verse number two that he was the chief among the publicans and he was, he was rich. He was rich. What do we know about the average Jew of this day? They were just trying to survive. We've already identified that they were being oppressed by the Roman government. They were literally trying to figure out where their food was going to come from, that they were going to eat that day, and that's literally all that they could do. The Jewish people at this time were in general very, very poor. And yet here you have this man who sold his soul out to the Roman government, and he's living this rich, lavish lifestyle in the face of all the people that he's helping to oppress. And what I'm just telling you is that his appearance was pretty rough to somebody who wanted to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. The Bible also tells us here that he was the chief of the publicans. Did you catch that there in verse number two? It says that he was chief among the publicans. Now, question for you. Most of you probably know the answer to this. For those of you, or for, for those of us who know something about publicans, were they known as being honest people? No, they were known for their corruption. All right. So this is the way this would work. Let's suppose for a moment that uh, I'm Zacchaeus and I'm the tax collector and uh, Pastor Chambers here will pick on him and uh, he owes the Roman government uh, $10. I'm just making up some numbers here for the sake of argument. All right. And uh, so I have my ledger here that says the Chambers family owes $10. So I would go to the Chambers family as a tax collector and I would say Chambers family, it says here that you owe $12 to the Roman government. Now, that's not correct. But he has no recourse of action. It's not like today's society where you can go and hire a lawyer and try to fend for your case and all of those things. No, he didn't have an option. He had to pay me the $12. So he'd pay me the $12. I'd take the 10. I'd give it to the Roman government. Where would the other two go? Right in my pocket. Right in my pocket. So he's living a rich lifestyle by managing the corruption and the extortion that is taking place among his own people here and all I'm doing is suggesting to you that everything about Zacchaeus would tell you that he is not at all interested in anything that Jesus would have to say or anything that Jesus stood for. Can I ask you here a question, Christians? How often do you judge people by their appearance and then choose not to witness to them? How often do you see somebody and you think, Look at the way that person dresses. Look at the way that person is talking. Look at the way and the activities in which that person is involving themselves in. That person has made their decisions in life. They wouldn't want to know anything about Jesus Christ, and therefore I'm just not going to talk to them about anything. Hey, can I be honest with you as a preacher? I'm guilty, and I bet you are as well. You and I miss so many opportunities to share our faith with individuals because we see a rough exterior and we think that person's not interested. Let me remind you who gets saved in this passage. Who gets saved in this passage? It's Zacchaeus, isn't it? That Zacchaeus with the rough exterior that nobody that was a Jew at that day would really wanted to have spent time with. He's the one who trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. He's the one who stood up and said, Behold the Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken any man, uh, taken anything from any man by false accusation, I'll restore him fourfold. This is the man who got saved, the one who was involved in the corruption and, and stealing from people and, and all of these things that we've already talked about. Christians, we forget sometimes how powerful the message of the gospel is. We really do. We're so familiar with it. 
We, are, we understand that we're sinners. We understand that because of our sin, we deserve hell. We understand that our good works won't get to heaven. We understand the song that was sang before I got up here to preach. We understand that Jesus Christ shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We understand all of those things. And listen, we've heard it a thousand and thousands and thousands of times, it seems. And to us, you know, it just doesn't even really seem like good news anymore. I can, as an evangelist, go any church, well, not any church, but I can go to many churches across this country and preach a message like I did this morning on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and people will fall asleep. They'll fall asleep because they're so familiar with the message. Hey, they've heard the message time and time again and they don't realize how powerful that message is to a person who's never heard it before. Friends, sinners get excited when they understand that Jesus paid it all. Jesus did. He shed his blood for them. He loved them. He loved me. I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. I remember I was down in Fort Lauderdale one time, and I've mentioned already that church is where Brother Riffle's brother is a member there. And uh, they were having a big teen evangelistic outreach, and they had done a great job advertising, and they had all these teenagers that were coming around. And I remember preaching a simple gospel message from John 3.16. And church, the kids were sitting on the edge of their seats. They were hanging on every word that I was saying. Why? Because the gospel is the good news. It is the great news. It's the best news that there ever was. You and I need to not forget that the message that we know and the message that we are so familiar with is the most powerful, effective message that we could ever share with any person and they can end up trusting Christ as their Savior because of the fact that you shared the message with them. The gospel is good news to people who know that they're sinners and who understand that there is an eternity in hell to pay for the sins that they have done here on this earth. We need to be careful about judging people by their appearance. Many people, I'm sure, judged Zacchaeus by his appearance. They saw that rough exterior and they said, I can't talk to him. He's already made his choices in life. But in contrast to that rough exterior, I want you to see Zacchaeus' heart. Would you look at it with me in verse number three? The Bible says, And he, Zacchaeus, sought to see who Jesus was. That's amazing truth, isn't it? Here's this guy rough exterior, everything about him, everything about his actions, everything about his job, everything about his lifestyle, everything about him says, I'm not interested. And yet on the inside, right in here, he is. He's curious. He's actually seeking out to see who Jesus is. You and I can't see the heart. And you and I don't know what's taking place on the inside of some individual. But this individual was curious to see who Jesus was. Would you hold your finger right here and go over to the book of John? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just the next book over to your right. And go to John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12, we want to look at verse number 32. The Bible says here, and this is Jesus who is speaking. Jesus says in verse number 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw how many men unto me? All men unto me. Now, was Jesus Christ lifted up from the earth? Yes, he was. When he died on the cross of Calvary, he was lifted up from the earth. And there he was sacrificed for your sins and for my sins. So he was lifted up from the earth. And the Bible tells me that he will draw how many people unto himself? All of them. Does that mean then that at some point in every individual's life that God is going to be working on that person to draw them unto a saving knowledge of himself? Yes, that would be true. So therefore, every person that we see should be a person that we could witness to. In other words, if you believe this is true, then it doesn't matter what the exterior looks like. By the way, they can look like you. It doesn't mean that they're saved and born again and on their way to heaven. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that at some point in every individual's life, God is going to be personally working with them and drawing them to himself so that they can trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we don't know when that is. We don't know when that is. But it does happen. 
All right, let's go to look at another passage here. Turn a few pages to your right to John chapter 16 and verse number 7. John chapter 16 and verse number 7. want to talk here just for a moment about the Holy Spirit and his ministry. And this is in red letters, so Jesus is speaking here again. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Boy, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but we won't here this evening. Then Jesus says, for if I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit does. When he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Do you believe that that is true? That the job of the Holy Spirit is to convince lost individuals that they are sinners destined for an eternity in hell, that they are going to be judged one day for their sins, and that they're going to be convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right? That's what, that's what the Holy Spirit tries to do. He does this work in individuals' lives. If you are here and you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, you remember that ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. You remember what it was like for the Holy Spirit of God to be convicting you in your heart, expressing the truths that you are a sinner and that your sin is serious and that there is a real place called the lake of fire that you will spend all of eternity. And you remember the Holy Spirit convincing you of those things. And then you remember the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And you remember the Holy Spirit convincing you that, that Christ's death was sufficient, that he paid for it all, and that all you had to do was trust in him to be your Savior. You remember the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you as a lost person, don't you? I'm telling you, it's exciting to really think back and, and to remember that. And the truth that I want you to understand as Christians is that the Holy Spirit is still working in the lives of lost people so that they can trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. The same way you felt the Holy Spirit working in you is the same way that he is working on individuals out there in this world today, in your town, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your place of employment, in all of those places, the Holy Spirit of God is at work. And what you and I need to do is go looking for where he's at work. And we need to quit making decisions for people. Every time we size somebody up by their rough exterior appearance and we make that decision for them, they're not, that they're not interested. We haven't done our job as Christians. Quit making the decisions for lost people to, that they wouldn't be interested in the gospel and go talk to them about the gospel and see if they're interested and seeing if God is working on them and drawing them to himself. And you'll see that it'll be a huge change for you as a soul winner. All right, we've seen his appearance. We've seen his heart. And now I want us to talk for a few minutes about his obstacles. The Bible says in verse number three, he sought to see Jesus who he was and he could not for the press because he was little of stature. Zacchaeus had a problem that I have never really struggled with. All right, uh, I'm, I'm struggling because the pulpit's a little bit short and it's a long way down here to my notes and I hope I'm saying the things I'm supposed to be saying here tonight, right? But, all right, so Zacchaeus had an obstacle that he had to overcome to get to Jesus. Now, this is where I want you to help me tonight. And I want you to consider that maybe there's a lost person, a person who's never accepted Jesus Christ as their savior and uh, they live somewhere around this area in which you live, Okay. What would be the obstacles that they would have to come to Philadelphia Baptist Church in Rutledge, Georgia, to be able to find out about Jesus? What would be some of the obstacles that would make it hard for them to come here? There's a hand up in the back. All right, no transportation. They may not have a way to get here. All right. Okay. Schedule, right? They're just busy and they got everything booked in. Maybe they have to work on Sunday or whatever it may be. What else? Scared. Thank you. How many of you like going places with a whole bunch of people that you've never met before? Yeah, uh, that's, that's what an evangelist does actually all the time. But at any rate, yes. All right. So, right. So, 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 so they would be intimidated or scared about coming to a place like this. I mean, what are those people really like in there? You know? All right. What, what else? Misconceptions, absolutely. Uh, they have no idea really what takes place in there. Uh, again, it kind of falls into fear and not knowing, right? And uh, they have uh, just just all kinds of uh, baggage or maybe they've had a bad experience at church before that's keeping them from coming to a place like this, okay? Uh, what, what else? 
Bad experiences. What's that over here? Clothing. I can't go to church. I don't have any church clothes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't want to go uh, to a party and then be the only person that didn't get the memo about what kind of party it was, right? So so these are obstacles that, that people have uh, to be able to come to a place like this. Uh, will I be accepted there? Pe- people don't really know that. They don't, they don't know what you're like. And all of these are obstacles that people have to overcome to be able to come to a place like this to be able to hear about Jesus. The stigma of their sin would be another one. They know... The way that they're living is wrong. They know it. They know it. And so they're concerned about being able to come to a place where that's going to be pointed out. So there were some obstacles that they had to go to. What about denominations? If you're looking for the truth, do you go to the Methodist church, the Catholic church, the Baptist church, the non-denominational church? I mean, where do you, where do you go? There's all kinds of obstacles that lost people have to be able to come to a place like this to be able to learn about Jesus. I'm thankful that uh, Zacchaeus overcame his obstacles. And lastly, I want, as before we go over to, to Jesus here and talk about the soul winner, I want you to just notice his decision in verse number seven. It says, and he, ha- he made haste and came down and received him how? He received him joyfully. You know, there's never been anybody who didn't receive Jesus joyfully. It's always a joyful experience to be rescued from the penalty of your sin and to accept Jesus Christ into your life. That's a little bit about lost individuals. And now I want us to talk about Jesus as the master soul winner and what he did to be able to talk to Zacchaeus so that he could trust in Jesus to be his savior. All right. First thing I want you to notice about Jesus is his schedule. All right. Luke chapter 19 and verse number one. The Bible says, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, when you're passing through a city, do you make a plan to stop in the city and have a meal with someone, and then maybe spend the night as well? I don't think so. When I'm passing through a city, I'm coming in one side, and I'm going out the other side as fast as I can because I have a schedule, and I have a place to be. You know, Jesus had a place to be here. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He had a place to go, and what happened was somebody came across his path that needed his attention, and Jesus was willing to set aside his schedule. He was willing to set it aside. You know, you and I are schedule-driven, schedule-oriented people, aren't we? Uh, we've got a schedules in our house. Maybe it's on the refrigerator. Maybe it's in a planner. Maybe it's who, who knows where you keep it. It's on a cell phone, right? And you've got this doctor's appointment to go to, and you've got this place that you've got to be. You've got to be over here at this point in time. You've got the thing for the kids at this point in time. And I'm telling you, if we get off our schedule, sometimes our life just becomes a wreck. We are driven by our schedule. And I tell you, one of the things that you need to do if you want to be a soul winner, and you want to be a soul winner that's patterned after the life of Jesus Christ, Just be willing to set aside your schedule. Now, I'm not saying that don't keep a schedule. I'm just saying when God brings somebody across your path and God makes it clear that you need to spend time with them, rearrange your schedule. Just set it aside. Dinner can be a little bit later. Somebody else can pick up the kids. No, I'm just kidding. All right. right. But be willing to find a way to set aside your schedule. All right, so we see his schedule. And next, I want you to notice Jesus' location. Look down in verse number five. The Bible says, and when Jesus came to the place, which place was this? I say it this way. This was the place where Zacchaeus was. This was the place where Zacchaeus was. You have to go to where lost people are in order to confront them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Here's the next place where I want your help tonight. And don't worry, this is the last one, all right? So I want to ask you this question. Where can you go to find lost individuals in your community? And I want to preface that question with this. I'm not suggesting that anybody in this room compromise your testimony and go someplace that you shouldn't go to be able to meet a sinner, all right? So having that as a preface, where do you think that you could go to meet a sinner? Down the road, in your neighborhood, right? Maybe you've got some neighbors or whatever it may be. Where else? Parks with the kids, absolutely. Where else? Walmart, absolutely. Where else? The library, where else? Restaurant, where else? Work. The ball field, 
family. The grocery store. The gas station. The doctor's office. Are you, are you catching a theme here? What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that lost people are everywhere. Lost people are everywhere. They are everywhere that you already go. They are everywhere. Jesus found one in a tree in this passage. If Jesus can find one in a tree, you can find one somewhere, can't you? All right, so Jesus here, he's willing to set aside his schedule and he's going to the place where sinners are. So I'm going to say it this way. If you want to be a soul winner like Jesus, be willing to set aside your schedule and go the places that you already go. Do you think you could do that so far? So far, I'm not really asking much of you, am I? All right, just be willing to set aside your schedule and keep doing the things that you're doing and keep going the places that you already go. But now as you go, we need to do what the rest of verse number five says. Verse number five says, Jesus came to the place, and what are the next three words? And looked up. All right, here's the thing. As you go throughout your day, if you want to be a soul winner like the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to start looking for lost people. That's it. It's just simple. You know, I I wish so badly sometimes that uh, I could preach some really uh, impressive, just, uh, wow, so deep. How did he ever get that from the scriptures? But I find that the scriptures are just so simple and straightforward that that, that really it's just, it's just, just easy. Right? This, is, this is not rocket science that we're talking about, is it? Right? What do you have to do if you want to find lost people to witness to? You've got, you got to look for them. You've got to look for them. You have to look for them. Now, if you will look for them, I promise you, the next point just takes place automatically. You don't even have to do it. Okay? The next one just happens. All right. So the Bible says in verse number five, and he came to the place and he looked up and then the Bible says what? And saw him. All right, now here's the thing. If you go throughout your day and you are soul conscious and you are looking for people that you can witness to, I promise you, you're going to see them. You're going to see people who need to know about Jesus. You're going to see them. Now, you may say, well, you know, when I go to Walmart, there's a lot of people in Walmart. Or when I go to Ingalls, there's an awful lot of people in Ingalls. How, how in the world am I going to know who I need to talk to? Well, you notice what your Bible says. He says he looked up and saw him. It doesn't say he looked up and saw them. You know, there was a throng of people here that was pressing upon Jesus Christ. And who did Jesus see? He saw Zacchaeus, didn't he? How does that happen? Can I just tell you, it's a supernatural thing, and it's a God thing. You can be in Walmart. You can be in Ingalls. You can be going throughout your day. You can be minding your own business as a Christian, although I suggest that you be looking, right? And God impresses upon your heart to talk to a specific individual. Has that ever happened to you? I see some heads nodding like this. It's happened to me, and I know that it's happened to you as well. How can that happen? How can there be all these people and then you see him or you see her? Can I tell you that God knows who he's drawn to himself? Can I tell you that God knows who he has the Holy Spirit working on? Can I tell you that God knows who his Christians are that know the message of the gospel? Can I tell you that God knows when the Christians or in the same place as the lost people that he's working on? And can I tell you that God can single out from the masses of people a single person that he wants you to speak to? I'm telling you, that's exciting. You stop and think about what is happening in that place. And God of the universe, the creator God of all the people that he could choose, is asking you to go and be a witness for him to a specific individual. If you would realize what was taking place whenever that does happen in your life, you'll start getting excited. You'll start getting excited about who God has for you to be able to talk to that day. I'm telling you, man, you go through your day and you're just looking for where God is working. And when God gets you to the right person, you know who you need to talk to and you go talk to him. It's so exciting. When I was first learning these truths and putting together uh, this message, and really I was trying to figure out how I should be a soul winner. 
I was sitting in a McDonald's in uh, Gardner-Webb, uh, which is close to where I went to Bible college. And uh, there was a lot of people in the McDonald's that day. And I remember just sitting over there and praying and asking God, God, is there somebody in here that you could use me to be a witness to? Now, as soon as I prayed the prayer, I thought to myself, what are you doing? You're in McDonald's. You don't just walk up to people in McDonald's and start talking to them about Jesus. Who does that? You know, and I saw, but uh, I prayed and I'm like, well, this is what I've been studying. And apparently this sort of thing, uh, you know, it can happen. And uh, so I'm asking God, is there somebody in here that you want me to talk to? And I'm telling you, the place was packed and God singled it down to this one table. And there were these two construction workers working there. You know what construction workers are, right? They're big, they're tough, they're mean, they're muddy. They're all of these things. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I'll talk to anybody in here, but I don't want to go talk to those guys. And he says, that's where I want you to go. So I thought, well, okay, they're sitting over there and they're near the soda fountain and I need more Coca-Cola anyway because I like to go to McDonald's because it's all you can drink Coca-Cola, all right? So I uh, got my stuff and I threw it away in the trash can and I went over and I filled up my drink at the soda fountain and then I thought, okay, I'm gonna have to talk to these people. I don't have a clue. So I said, Lord, please help me. So I walked over to their table and I just stood still and I looked down at them and they both looked at me kind of like you would probably look at a person kind of weird like, you know, if somebody came up to you at McDonald's and looked at you. And, and I said, hi. <laughs> this is what came out, you know. And, and uh, so I, I told him, I said, you know, I said, guys, I was sitting over here. I said, I'm just minding my own business. And I said, but the Lord really impressed upon my heart that I, that I should come over here and talk to you. Um, would you mind if, if I sat down with you? And one of the guys, his face just lit up. He got so excited. He's like, yes, please have a seat. And the other guy, his head just dropped. And you could tell he wasn't really happy that I was there. And so I, I sat down and just began talking to the one individual. And uh, he was saved. You know, he, he knew the gospel and all these different things. And uh, we were just having this great conversation. And then I stopped talking to him and I looked at his friend who still wasn't looking at me yet. I said, hey, what about you? Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven one day? He looked at me, up at me and he said, you won't believe this. I said, try me. <laughs> he said, last night, I spent three hours with this guy's pastor talking to me about why I needed to trust Jesus Christ as my savior. And now you come over here, some person that I've never met before in my entire life, and you want to talk to me about Jesus too? I think God's trying to get my attention. And I was so new at this. I didn't know exactly what to do. I didn't know what to say to him. So I talked to him for a little while. I tried to explain the gospel to the best of my ability. And then I ended up leaving. And I don't know exactly what happened with that guy. I believe that he ultimately got saved. Okay. But I gave him my phone number so he could call me and ask me any questions. Right. Now I try to get their phone number so I can call them and ask them if they have any questions. I do a lot of things differently. And by the way, if you start trying to be a witness to people, you're, you're going to do everything perfect. You're going to do something. You're going to have a conversation with somebody. And then after the conversation is over, you're going to think, I should have done this. I should have said that. Why didn't I do this? Well, listen, don't beat yourself up. Learn from the experience and just try to do better the next time. So that's what I tried to do from this. I just said, okay, well, I'm going to learn from this. And then the next time I'll, I'll try to do better. What I am trying to tell you is that God can narrow down the masses to a single person for you to be able to go and talk to. And you know who it is. And I can't explain it any more than better than I just did. It's a supernatural thing and God does it. Because he didn't see them, he saw him. He saw him. Now, everything up to this point, honestly, has been pretty simple. Be willing to set aside your schedule. Go the places that you already go. Look for lost individuals as you go and then see lost individuals. All of that's pretty easy. The next one is the hard part. So let's just see what it is down there in verse number five. The Bible says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. And what's the next word? Oh, preacher. Really? Did we have to go there? Well, I'm afraid that we did. Because that's where the Bible goes. Amen. Can I just tell you that it's always going to be uncomfortable to witness? It's always going to be. It may become less uncomfortable the more that you do it, but there's always going to be an element of fear involved. There's always going to be that fear and trepidation that you have about actually opening your mouth and speaking to somebody. It's always going to be there. 
But my Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit of God will fill me with his spirit and give me supernatural boldness to be able to speak when I don't want to speak. And that's the truth of it. If you'll rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll ask him to help you in the conversation, you can open your mouth and you'll just be amazed at sometimes where the conversation will go. And God will help you know what it is that you need to be able to say to that person. You know, we have to talk to people. Don't be afraid of people. We get so scared of individuals. But can I tell you what happens most of the time? When I, when I was first starting to, to witness to people and to open my mouth and talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I was petrified. I, I was absolutely scared to death about what they were going to say to me, about their reactions to me, about all of these different things. And what I have learned over time is that most people say thank you. I remember one time I was up in Nova Scotia and I was walking around. I was walking around with my two daughters that I sang with, although this was like seven years ago. So they were much smaller and we were walking around and we were about to have a, a church service in, in a park and uh, they were having like a festival in town. There were people everywhere and we were at this gas station and uh, we we're walking out of the gas station and just kind of walking. And this guy comes uh, kind of coming into uh, the gas station. And uh, can I just tell you, he had the rough exterior. All right. There was just, he was just rough looking character. And, uh, so I, I gave him an invitation and he snapped at me real quick and said, no, I don't want you, whatever, you know, that, and kind of goes into the, into the gas station. I thought, okay, well, you know, and just kind of walking off with, with my girls there. That guy came out of the gas station, came and chased me down and apologized to me for being rude and thanked me for trying to make a difference in his life. <laughs> I mean, you don't really expect those things to happen. But I've done it so much now that I'm actually am expecting people to be appreciative that I talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Most people know when you talk to them about Jesus, you're doing so because you care about them. Why else would you talk to somebody about Jesus? You're going to talk to somebody about Jesus because you don't care about them? No, you're going to talk to them about him because you, you love them and you, and you want to know the truth that you know about the fact that Jesus has provided a way of salvation for them. And most people, whenever you're talking to them about Jesus, they, they understand that and they can see... They can see your attitude. They can see uh, your love for them. And, and they will actually tell you, thank you. Talk to somebody through a drive-thru one time. Go through a drive-thru at McDonald's and get yourself a Coca-Cola, all right? And, and give that person a tract. You know, people in drive-thrus talk to hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people every day who don't care anything about their existence and they only want whatever they've ordered to be exactly right whenever they get it at the window and faster than they're going to be able to get it to them. And you stop and you care about them just a little bit. It'll make a difference. And they'll put that track in their pocket maybe. And then on a break, they can pull it out and read it. I've given tracks to people before and uh, I've walked away. And then it's come to find out I'll see them over uh, maybe on a break at some point in the restaurant. And they'll sit down with the track that I gave them and read it right there. I'm telling you, there's all kinds of ways that you can be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the most powerful message in the world. And it's the message that we know the best and do the absolute least with. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Man, I'm telling you, it's a powerful, powerful message. You know, in verse number 10, Jesus says that the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I say it this way. His mission was fishing. He was always fishing. He was always looking for somebody to talk to about the gospel and always trying to share truth with them. Anybody here like to fish? I love to fish, right? And uh, I'm not a very good fisherman, but I do like to fish. And I, I've learned just a, a few things along the way. And uh, one of the, the, the really simple basic things is this, all right? If you, if you go fishing and you get yourself the best bait in the world, and you get yourself the best tackle in the world, and you have the best boat in the world, and you get out and you know that you are where the fish are, and then you sit there and you don't put the bait in the water, you ain't catching no fish. You know, it doesn't matter how polished you are in your gospel presentation. It doesn't matter how many verses you know by memory. How many different things that you can recite to somebody to tell them the gospel truth? If we don't open our mouth and we don't put the bait in the water, we ain't catching no fish. And Jesus called us to be fishers of men. 
infinitely more important than pulling some fish out of the water. God wants to use you to reach lost people in your community that only you can reach. You know people that your pastor's never going to know. You know people that your youth pastor's never going to know. You know them. You have the relationship with them, and God wants to use you. It's going to be you that's in some place where God singles out from the crowd down to one individual and asks you to speak to them. And I'm just curious if you'll take the opportunity and if you'll jump to be able to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ when he asks you. Oh, I hope that you will. I hope that you will. There's so many people that need to know how to be saved. You know, his mission here was to seek and to save that which was lost. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm a visitor here, and uh, I don't know who else is a visitor here, but I can tell you this. Maybe you're here tonight, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Would you look up here for just a minute? I want to share with you an illustration that I tell people um, pretty much everywhere that I, I go. And uh, it just kind of helps illustrate the message of the gospel so that people understand what it is that they need to do in order to be saved. All right, so we're going to let this hand over here represent you and I. It represents us. And I've got a wallet here, and it's black. And we're going to let it represent sin. And no, there's not, I don't think there's hardly any money in here. No, there's no money in here. But at any rate, all right, here we are. The Bible says that we're sinners. And, and the Bible says in Romans 23 that all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the teaching of the scriptures is, here we are, and the Bible says we all have sin on us. And the Bible gives us some very bad news about the fact that we're sinners. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And the Bible's not just talking about physical death there. It's talking about spiritual death, which is being separated from God forever in a very real place called the lake of fire. So here's the teaching from the scripture. Here we are. We all have sin on us. And the Bible says because of our sin, we all deserve to die and we all deserve to spend an eternity in hell forever. Now, here's what most people think. They think, well, I may have done a few things wrong, but I'm also a pretty good more person. I mean, you know, I do things like go to church and uh, I do things like give to charitable causes. And uh, I'm just in general a moral person and I pray to God and I do all these different things. And so we pile these good works up on top of our sin and uh, we think that that's going to be able to get us into heaven. But friends, it may kind of make the picture look a little bit better when we have these good works here. But what's still there? The sin. See, the Bible never tells us that good works pay the penalty for our sin. The only penalty for sin, friend, is death. And so the only way that we can pay it is to die and go to hell for all of eternity. But there's some good news. See, God says that he loves you and me. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And that's this hand. We're going to let this hand represent Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible teaches that our sin has separated us from Jesus so that we can't get to him. But the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And at the end of his life, he was lifted up on the cross of Calvary. And there, when he was hanging there, God the Father did something that was just unimaginable. And I wouldn't even believe it if the Bible didn't tell us so. The Bible says in 1 Peter 24 that God the Father reached down from heaven. He took our sins off of us and he placed them onto Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ died, was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave victorious over sin and victorious over death. Jesus Christ paid for your sins. He took everything that you have ever done wrong upon himself. He shed his blood so that you could have the forgiveness of sin. And then the Bible says this, if you will just look to Jesus, if you will just recognize that Jesus really was God the Son and that Jesus really did die on the cross and that his death, burial, resurrection was sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible says you'll be able to go to heaven and God will give to you the gift of eternal life. Boy, I'm telling you, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? There's not anything that you have to do in order to be saved except for understand those truths, accept those to be truth and then cry out to Jesus for your salvation. Maybe your need here tonight is that you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And in our time of invitation, I want to give you an opportunity to be able to do that. And we're going to do that now. So if you would, if you stand to your feet, uh, we're almost done. We have just a couple more minutes and then we'll close out and dismiss for the evening. 
Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today to be able to preach your word. We thank you for the truths that we've looked at here from the scriptures, and I ask that you would have your will and way in this time of invitation. And in Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, the only people looking around are Pastor and myself. Christian, did God speak to you tonight about this need to be a soul winner? Maybe you would just signify by raising the hand and say, you know, God has touched my life. I need to do so much more than I am currently doing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hands all over the place. You can put your hand back down. I hope that you'll be doing business with the Lord about that right now. Maybe there are some specific things he talked to you about, and I just encourage you uh, to spend some time talking to the Lord about that right now. Friend, maybe you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ before as your Savior. And you saw the illustration that was given and you, you think to yourself, wow, I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. I, I, I've never understood the simplicity that, that Jesus Christ took my sin upon himself and that he died, was buried, and rose again for my sins. I need to trust Jesus Christ to be my Savior tonight. If that's you here, I have some wonderful news for you. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise from the word of God that if you will identify yourself as a sinner and you'll cry out to Jesus to be your savior, he'll forgive you of your sins and he'll give you an eternal home in heaven. And if you're here tonight and you would like to do that, you say, well, God's speaking to me. He's drawing me right now. When you were talking earlier about lost individuals and the Holy Spirit working in them and convincing them of these things, that's me. That's, that's me. I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior tonight. You can do that right now. And you can just pray in your mind. You don't have to pray out loud, but you can pray and you can ask the Lord something like this. You can say, dear God in heaven, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell because of my sin." but I want to trust Jesus Christ to be my Savior tonight. Thank you for saving me. And in Jesus' name, amen. You know, with nobody looking around here tonight, I'm just curious. I, I travel the country and I preach this message so that people can trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And nothing would make me happier than to know that you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior here this evening. And if you did that, would you mind, with nobody looking around except myself and the pastor, would you just slip your hand up in the air nice and high and say, I trusted Jesus Christ to be my Savior tonight? Anybody all at that? Amen. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Savior tonight. Christian, this is the most powerful message that we can have. It's ours to give. And God wants to use you to give it. Father, I thank you for the time that you've given us here this evening. Be with us now as we conclude. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor.